0: Welcome to Kernels of Nutrition, the brand new podcast series powered by the Almond Board of California. My name is Rosie Long. I'm an AFN registered associate nutritionist. And in this series, I'll be chatting to some of the leading nutrition professionals in the UK about their experiences and how they successfully communicate health and nutrition messages through the work they do with brands, the media, and more recently on social media too. This podcast is part of the Almond Board of California's Almond Academy a learning and development platform developed by health professionals to help other nutritionists and dietitians advance and refine their existing skills. Visit almonds.co.uk to listen to other podcasts in the series, sign up to the Almond Board's Nutrition Bulletin, and access all other Almond Academy resources. With me today is registered dietitian Maeve Hannon. Maeve is a consultant dietitian who has a range of experience in clinical nutrition and nutrition communication. She's passionate about communicating evidence-based nutrition messages which promote overall health, including a healthy relationship with food. She currently works with private clients, companies, brands, and the media, and also provides lectures on nutrition-related topics. Maeve is the co-founder of NutriMote, a supportive hub for nutrition professionals who want to work remotely, and director of Dietetically Speaking Limited, which promotes evidence-based nutrition messages online and on social media, where she's built up a following of over 40,000. Social media is a great way to reach more people with health and nutrition messages, but the way we communicate on these channels is very different to in-person presentations or consultations. there's a need to be pithier, more visual, creating content that catches people's attention and gets the messages across in an engaging way. Today, I pick Maeve's brains on how she can make sure that the information she's posting on social media is both interesting and credible. So hello Maeve, welcome to the podcast.
1: Um, Hi, thanks for having me
0: on. (laughs) Yeah, we're absolutely delighted to have you join us today. Um, So you have a very successful social media presence, um, in particular your Instagram handle Dietetically Speaking. So what inspired you to start on social media in the first place?
1: So Dietetically Speaking started out mainly as a blog and a social media page, and it was really just a hobby. It was where I went to vent about nutritional nonsense that I heard and it was kind of my own CPD as well. If I wanted to uh, research a certain topic, I thought I may as well actually write a blog about it. Um, I've always quite enjoyed teaching and it's something that helps me to learn as well if I'm sort of teaching somebody else about a topic. Um, So I found that actually blogging was really helpful in that way. Um, So yeah, it was about... So it was 2015 that I started Dietetically Speaking and as I said it was mainly on Facebook but since then it's really switched over to being mainly on Instagram as you mentioned. It was around three years ago that I switched my personal Instagram over to my Dietetically Speaking page Um, and it was mainly because it was the platform that I enjoyed most myself and it was where um, I guess most of my audience seemed to be Um, and also I think there was just some changes around the Facebook algorithm around that time. Mm. so it just sort of changed engagement and everything um so yeah I guess that's what's kind of brought me over to Instagram and um yeah it's just been kind of a gradual thing in terms of just putting out content seeing how it lands um it's always that bit of experimentation really yeah.
0: So um obviously you move from Facebook to Instagram, but how is it how is Instagram different from the other platforms? So I know you you've kind of dabbled with TikTok um, and you know Twitter as well. So how is it different with regards to communicating nutrition messages?
1: Yeah, I mean I very briefly dabbled on TikTok. I did one video and that was enough. <laughs> but um yeah, it is quite different. So it's really visual. And so it's really all about graphics and I guess that's where originally kind of food related content came into it because, you know, so many people just posting pictures around food, um, especially when it started out. Um, It's more difficult as well to share links. So when you're talking about research and studies, you can do, if you've over 10,000 followers, you can do the swipe up link in your stories. You can put links in your bio, but you can't really have it, you know, right there in the content for people to click on. So it's a little bit different then in terms of like Facebook and Twitter, where it's easier to actually provide links. Um, But it does evolve. So I guess Instagram has taken a lot of successful features from other platforms. So I guess speaking of TikTok, um, like Reels, the newest feature is very similar to the whole TikTok format and, you know, stories very similar to Snapchat. So uh, it does kind of have a lot of the sort of best features of other platforms as well. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And I think um, the way Instagram kind of changes you know bringing out new things like guides as well it's is a potential opportunity for
1: nutritionists and dietitians to potentially share more information as well definitely because it's all these other communication methods you know as we said when it started out it was just really you know pictures and texts but mainly around the picture and but now there's so many more opportunities for video and for now short videos with reels and stories and engagement and people engage with different types of content so it is great to have all those different options available it can be a little overwhelming to get used to the newest feature and learn how to use it but once you give it a go it's generally fine absolutely
0: so um when we're communicating messages we know that kind of sound bites or everyday analogies um attention-grabbing headlines they work really well to draw people into a post on social um but when it comes to nutrition professionals how do we ensure that we're you know we're putting out that catchy headline but We're staying true to ourselves and staying true to the accurate nutrition messages that we want to get across?
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. And I think it's always about finding that balance. And it is always a balance between how do we stay professional and accurate while also being engaging? And because you don't want your content just to be really like dry and boring, that nobody's going to interact with it. But at the same time, you don't want to, you know, become a sensational headline either. That's uh, maybe misleading. So I do think, though, headlines can be at the same time attention grabbing and accurate. Um, So it's about, it's often about posing a question. So if you were talking about a certain topic, um, so if, say, it was related to almonds, um, if you were talking about, well, what are the... Um, you know, are there any heart health benefits to almonds or something like that? So if you sort of pose it as a question in that way, rather than, you know, in the headline, trying to list out loads of information, then that question might sort of spark someone's interest and then bring them in to read more about it. Um, you know, and then I guess it's bringing in bits of your personality as well. You know, sometimes it's bringing in a bit of humor or a pun, or it's, um, you know, your honest reaction. If if there's maybe a headline that you're reacting to, um, you know, what's your kind of emotional response to it as well, as long as it's still, you know, in line with your profession and the evidence base. Yeah. So I guess, um, as you said, an example
0: for almonds could be something like, you know, why are almonds so good for your heart? And then you could go on to explain in the post that almonds, you know, contain fatty acids, which are, you know, good for good for heart health and help maintain normal cholesterol levels. Um, And then maybe you could even link out to a study perhaps about almonds and cholesterol, um, maybe in the bio or something like that.
1: Yeah, that's a really good point because there's only so many uh, words that you can use when, within the, the text itself. You know, you can go over to your comments and things to add more information. But I think signposting is really useful as well. So that's where you can yeah link in your bio to like a, an article or a study that has more information or, as you said, possibly the swipe up link or even, you know, go to this certain website or, you know, this, um, you know, th- this part of the NHS website or, you know, whatever it is, you can signpost people then to um, to find out more information because there's going to be some people who maybe just, you know, want to see a quick summary, um, but it's great to have that additional information to back it up and to have more resources and more information for people as well. Yeah, absolutely.
0: And I guess, you know, we've spoken about the need of headlines and linking back but communicating Mm -hmm. complex nutrition like related messages on social media it's it can be a hard skill to master and um it's it could be hard to decide you know what what to include and what to leave out um so you know we share out as the almond board we share out really complex research studies through our nutrition bulletin to -hmm. health professionals but how would a health professional then take that kind of information understand it and go but what does my
1: audience want to hear on social media for
0: example
1: so there's a tip that i find really useful and it's thinking about so who are you speaking to specifically so it depends on who your audience is so for some health professionals their audience might be other health professionals or it might be general public or it might be a mixture or it might be um, parents or it might be a certain age group so it's going to be it depend on the audience but if you can literally bring to mind a specific person that you're speaking to that kind of um incorporates a lot of the characteristics of your audience so maybe if it's general public you think about a member of your family or a neighbor or um, a patient or a client that you've worked with or something and think about okay well what would I want to communicate to them if I was trying to get these key points across to them and that can be really helpful because as health professionals that will come very natural to us that's what we do all the time anyway Um, And if you start to think about it in that way, it means you're more likely to simplify your language, to use the language of your audience and to bring it to life in terms of using metaphors and storytelling and that kind of thing. Um, So that's something that I find to be helpful. Mm -hmm. Trying not to overload as well. So generally trying to keep it to kind of one to five key points, depending on the topic and an overall takeaway message as well. Um, because unfortunately, the way most people interact with social media, it's a quick skim read rather than reading something in detail. Um, So having kind of your overall take home message is generally helpful as well. Um, And then you can, if you're trying to decide, okay, well, what do I include? What do I leave out? You can briefly mention things as well. So you could say that um, you know, there's some evidence looking into X, but it's too early to apply this in a real life setting at the moment. Or I'll cover this in a future post. Or let me know if you want me to cover this in a future post. Or you could split it into a few different posts so you're not kind of information overload within that one post. Um, so I think generally, the more you can break it down and try and speak in the language of your audience and just try and bring the science to life as much as possible, um, that tends to be helpful.
0: Mm -hmm. and i guess um as health professionals we've been conditioned to be referencing everything that we we write whenever we're writing blog posts and things like that you know we're we're always conscious to keep the references there and and, you know be really good with that so how is it how's the best way to do it on social because as you said it's a reduced word count um you know what's the best way of doing that
1: Yeah, so it'll really depend on the platforms. As I said, on Instagram, it's much more difficult, but even still on Instagram, as you said, you can put references in your bio, you can possibly put up a swipe up link, um, you can give the details of the study without the link itself. So you can obviously give, you know, the author's name of the year, the study title, the DOI number, and you can do all that either in the graphic or in the text of the post, Um, or the other thing you can do is you can just keep your own references yourself. So maybe you have a document, um, for each of your posts and there, if anyone has any further questions or wants any further information, then you can send it out to them on a more individual basis as well. Um, so obviously it is important to have references, um, and to be researching things properly. So we probably will have those references either way. It's just about whether you share them or whether you kind of have them and people know that they can ask you for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's kind of Instagram. Um, As I said, Facebook, Twitter, a lot of other platforms like LinkedIn and things, much easier to actually share the links themselves. So I think they tend to be the best ways of doing it. Um, Again, actually bringing it back to Instagram more people now are doing kind of swipe across images. So you could do a whole image that had a list of all your references. And that's something I do sometimes if I'm doing a more kind of detailed post. Um, but the only issue with that is it's just the information. So somebody will then have to actually, you know, read that and search that themselves rather than being able to copy paste or mm-hmm. just click a link or anything like that. So yeah. there's lots of different options. So it's definitely manageable, although certain platforms make it easier than others. Absolutely. Um, and I guess we, we mentioned before about Instagram
0: being a really visual um, platform. Mm. And if you're trying to build your following or, you know, up your Insta game, as they say, mm. how important is it to include
1: a good picture? And um, are there any rules that you should follow? Yeah, I think it's really important because it's such a visual platform, as you're we saying. Um So I've had a bit of help with this side of things. My partner used to be a graphic designer. and So he has given me some tips, which I found really helpful in terms of making social media posts specifically for Instagram. So some of the things that sometimes you see people possibly making mistakes around this, um, it's often around the color contrast. And this is all about making sure that the image itself is accessible. So making sure it's readable by more people. Um, So basically you don't want the background color and the text color to be too similar. You need enough of a contrast between them. So you want either a light color in the background and a strong darker color for the text or vice versa. And then there's a few other things in terms of the images themselves. Um, And obviously it's taken me a little bit of time to get my head around a lot of this with, you know, graphic design isn't my background, Um, but you do get used to it. So things like Giving the the text and the images enough room to breathe so it's not too squashed basically and things aren't going right to the edge. Um, Making sure you're not having images that are stretched or pixelated. Making sure that you actually have permission to use the image to begin with so it needs to be royalty free. Um, and then also you can bring in extra elements of design. So using color and images to actually support your message. So, you know, green to represent good or red to represent bad and um, just playing around with it as well to see how does it actually look appealing? Cause it does, it's that bit of creativity as well. There isn't really just one formula. It is a bit subjective and it's about, um, you know, often just about kind of get all the information on there, start playing around with it and then eventually even come back to it. That's something I tend to do. If if I feel like it's just not working, maybe leave it and come back to it again um, to make sure that it's all coming together. But I guess what we're talking about there is making more kind of like an infographic type post. Um, if you I mean, you can also share like pictures of, you know, food or scenery or whatever, or um, like selfies, like selfies actually tend to do quite well. The algorithm tends to like them, um, although that changes all the time. So don't quote me on that one. Um, so yeah, so, I mean, you don't need to be, you know, an expert in Photoshop or anything like that. There's lots of, um, there's like really easy software that you can use as well. So I guess Canva is one of the most popular ones. Um, and yeah, it can, it can be pictures as well that you just take on your phone or, you know, it can be more like videos that you're speaking about information as well that you're recording yourself. So there's loads of different options, but if you are actually making an image, then they're some of the key points that I would say to be careful about.
0: Mm -hmm. and just um on that kind of graphic design point i know you see a lot on instagram about you know people have different color schemes and things like that how important is it to stick to a color scheme or decide what what colors you want to use in the
1: beginning yeah so i guess that kind of comes down to branding and whether you have a brand color or whether you have your own kind of brand guidelines um it can be useful in terms of well first of all it makes it easier for you because you kind of have a starting point um So I guess it can be limiting though as well, if you want to do something that's a little bit different to that. Um, And it depends if you kind of want to have, you know, your graphics and things to be recognizable for you and, um, and your company or your brand or whatever it is. But it might be that maybe somebody might not have a brand or a company, and maybe it's more just about, you know, sharing the information. And, and that was me when I started. It's, as I said, it started out really as a hobby and it's become more of kind of a, a career really um so I don't think there's a right or wrong I think if you if you do have specific colors and things associated to your brand then great you know use those and that'll be helpful um but you don't have to I mean there's plenty of people that don't stick to that specifically and they have you know fantastic profiles Um, some people like to focus on the design of the Instagram wall as well so maybe you know keep it in a pattern um, and there's loads of different um websites and apps and things that can help you to actually design that. Um, so I mean a bit of consistency in some way, I do think is nice, but it's not essential. I think the like each individual post and the the content and the information really is the most important thing. Um, mm. And then and you can change that as well. So if you I think it is something to experiment with and play around with. So you don't feel that, oh, if I start off with this brand color, I have to stick with that brand color if I don't want to or you know, like I used to do the very kind of patterned Instagram wall. And then I just found it was limiting me in terms of holding me back from actually posting content because I'd find that, oh, I can't, um, you know, I was supposed to post in this specific design today and I don't have something ready, so I just won't post anything. So for me, it was kind of holding me back. Um, but you know, on the the other hand, it does look really good when people have Mm. a really nice patterned wall. So no right or wrong. And I would say just play around with it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I know you mentioned that selfies tend to do
0: well and the algorithm well, at least at the moment. Um, yeah. How important do you think it is to show photos of people? I know there's a lot of people that like the idea of remaining anonymous on social media. And is is it something that can work? Can you stay anonymous?
1: Yeah, I think that's a really interesting point. And like so many things, it does really depend. So, um, as I said, photos of people or selfies do tend to get good engagement and I guess it it shows your followers who you are and that you are a person you know it's not just this kind of anonymous account or I guess it brings a bit more of the kind of human connection into it um but then you know some people choose not to share many images of themselves and there's lots of valid reasons for that you know some people feel that it might be maybe triggering for their audience to see lots of images um, of them particularly. And um, So I guess I'm thinking about people who uh, work with clients who have eating disorders or body image issues and they don't want to share maybe a lot of images of themselves if they fit into the more um, the culturally acceptable kind of body size. So there might be reasons like that, that people choose not to share many pictures of themselves. Um, it may be that people want to promote maybe diversity of other people you know if again if they fit very much into a certain mainstream image and they actually want to share images of other people so I've seen people um take those kind of stances on it and that's totally valid um and so I think there's there's really pros and cons and it really comes down to it depends on your personality your preferences what's feels most authentic for you um I do think though some sort of kind of, as I said, bringing in some element of human interaction is important though. So if you choose maybe not to share photos, um, then it could be maybe maybe you feel more comfortable doing um, like videos where you're talking, but maybe it's on your stories, so they won't stay there forever. Um, or maybe it's more like behind the scenes, different pictures and things that maybe you're not in, but you're kind of sharing a little bit more about you, your life, your personality. Um, or maybe it's actually in the way, the language that you use in your posts, maybe that shows more of who you are. Um, so I don't think it's essential, but I think when people, if it does feel right and authentic for you, then it can be a nice way of bringing in a bit more connection with the audience.
0: Yeah. And I mean, talking of uh, authentic how how important is it to stay balanced when it comes to studies so you know how much of our personal you know or professional opinions or interpretations should affect how should they affect what we post when it comes to you know reporting on studies
1: yeah I I feel that really brings us back to what we were saying about the kind of the engagement versus the professional side of things um and obviously when we're looking at the evidence itself it's so important to show balance in terms of um you know not well you know we all have some element of bias but trying to reduce that as much as possible um because i I think it's really important to have those posts that show both sides of the story and i think it it increases trust as well because it's not that oh i'm just pushing this one agenda and i can't see any of the shades of gray it's not you know it's not this total like black and white um type of messaging so I guess in terms of then bringing in our personal opinions, though, as long as this is within professional boundaries, you know, I guess I'm thinking of the HCPC guidelines um, or, you know, if someone's a member of the British Dietetic Association, for example, or the AFN, you know, all the guidelines associated with those. Um, But again, I think it's totally, totally valid and actually important to share our, our opinions on things as well through our professional lens. Um, so, if there's been maybe a news story, or maybe a you know celebrity promoting a dangerous you know so-called like fat loss product or fat burning product or something that's you know not evidence based or um, or it's misleading or it's harmful, I think actually if we actually feel passionate about how harmful that is, you know, actually sharing that opinion and again being authentic and honest about that, um, I think that's that's a really helpful thing to do. Um, but there is always that fine line as well in terms of, you know, we are still in a way representing our profession. So as long as you, you'd feel comfortable, I guess, standing up in front of a room of your peers and sharing that same message, then it's most likely then appropriate to share on social media. And if you're unsure, that's where, you know, having your support network of other nutrition professionals, you know, that are in a similar area to you that you can sort of bounce things off, run things past, Um, and you can obviously, you know, change things once they're posted, if, if you actually feel like actually I'm not comfortable with this anymore and over time, you'll get more of a sense of, of what you're comfortable with and of what, what works best really. It is, as I said, lots of experimenting and, um, it's, there's no one perfect formula for doing it and, you know, everything is going to change over time as well.
0: Mm, yeah i mean social media is still a relatively new platform for nutritional professionals and i think it can feel quite daunting i know i felt a bit a bit nervous to post things in the past and kind of had to check in on myself um and with peers but where mm-hmm. can you get guidance about ethics um because i know it's something that's been been confusing for people in the past so yeah where, where do you get the guidance on social media from for ethics side of things
1: Yeah, it's really important for us to be aware of the different guidelines. Um, So as I said, for dietitians in the UK, um, the HCPC has their standards of conduct. um, And then there's also the advertising standards authority. So it depends if you are um, doing any sponsored posts or ads or anything like that. It's also really important to be aware of when do you highlight that this is a hashtag ad. So you're being really honest and transparent about that as well. Again, for dietitians, um, the British Dietetic Association have a really helpful guideline called Making Sense of Social Media. Um, And you know, even for people who aren't dietitians or aren't based in the UK, I think it's a really useful um, guide for people to have a look at. And then so I'm also registered in Ireland. um, So there's similar guidelines in Ireland from CORU um, and from Indy. Um, So that's again for dietitians who are based in Ireland. There's not as much specific to social media, but then there's also, again, the the Irish equivalent in terms of the advertising standards. Um, and then if you have, um, if any of your audience is in the US, then the American Dietetic Association also have social media specific guidelines. And the Federal Trade Commission as well have a document called Disclosures 101 for Social Media Influencers. So if anyone's based in the US, then those two guidelines are really good to look at.
0: Okay, thank you. And I think, yeah, health professional um, influencers you probably can't see my kind of air quotes there, but it's <laughs> been a, it's been a controversial topic recently. And I think there's been a lot of differing opinions as to, you know, what's right and what's wrong. But um, do you think, do you think that more work
1: needs to be done to support nutritionists and dietitians on social media? Definitely. And yeah, it's interesting you bring up the whole point about influencers or so-called influencers um because there's there's two kind of definitions of influencer the one is you know just somebody who influences someone else's behavior or thoughts um, and the other one is like specifically around marketing on social media and you know you're just specifically trying to sell something um so i think a lot of us nutrition professionals on social media um i guess some people feel comfortable with that label and some don't so it's a it's an interesting topic um so Yeah, in terms of um, having more support though, yeah, I think absolutely it is such a new area and I think we do need more guidelines. Um, And I have heard that there's some more guidelines coming out, which is brilliant to hear. Um, Because if you think about just the amount of people who turn to social media for nutritional information, so surveys have found that like 25 to 42% of people go to social media to find out information about food and health. It is really important that we have reliable nutrition professionals there to give that information. So I think it is really important to be there, spreading those messages. And obviously, the nutrition professionals just want to do it in the most reliable way possible, and you know want to make sure that they are, um, you know, not crossing any boundaries or anything. So I think having more guidelines on it would be really helpful, and Mm. training as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I guess with with a certain number of followers comes kind of the opportunity for paid work on social media as well and that's i think there's a there's a question as to whether dietitians and nutritionists should be doing that or not um so i mean what are your thoughts in that area yeah
1: i mean i think um as long as you're following the guidelines you're honest and transparent about you know if this is paid or sponsored and as long as the product or the company again is something that you kind of align yourself with professionally, then I, I don't see the problem with that at all. Um it's more if it was, you know, if you're trying to hide that actually I was paid for something. And um if yeah, if it's not transparent, if it's not honest basically, I guess that's where the issue is. um And again, if you're following those guidelines, it's really clear in terms of where when do you label if something is a hashtag ad or not. And there's different flowcharts and things you can look at from the ASA. Um, and it's I guess obviously the lines become more blurred if, I guess, if you're involved in the development of a certain product or, you know, it depends if you're, um, recommending things to clients, but if it's a, it's a product that you would, that you actually really stand behind, if there's a nutritional reason for that. Um, and again, it will, it it does bring in the, um, like more guidelines in terms of the European Food Safety Authority guidelines around nutrition claims and health claims and everything. So obviously, again, you need to be careful, make sure you're doing it um, in line with all of those guidelines. Um, But as long as that's all been done properly, um, then actually I think it's important that nutrition professionals are involved again in spreading those messages. Yeah, no, absolutely. And we're actually um, talking
0: to uh, another nutritionist about the EU guidelines as well, Mm. because I know that EU regulations is something that, we get confused about and they are complex. So um, yeah, we'll be, we'll be covering that in an, in another podcast episode. Um, but finally, if, if you're looking to build your profile on social media and you're just starting out, um, what's your number one top tip for building an engaged following?
1: Yeah, I think it really comes back to being true to yourself and let your passion shine through in your content because that's just going to show that, you're really interested in this. It's going to help you to actually stay consistent with it. Cause you're going to be focusing on something that you're interested in. And, um, and I think it does really show when someone is, you know, honestly interested or passionate about a certain area. And, um, and it just, you know, improves the quality of the content. Um, so, I, and it helps you to enjoy the process as well. And that's really important. You know, if you to do this, it's important to actually enjoy it. And again, if you're trying to pick like what platform will I focus on and things again, if you pick a platform that you're actually going to enjoy using, it's going to make the process just so much better. Um, so yeah, I think that'll be my main tip.
0: Amazing. Thank you, Maeve. That was, that was so interesting and I really hope our audience found it as interesting and insightful as I did. Um, to finish the episode, I'd like to ask you a couple more general questions, kind of a quick fire type type thing. Uh-huh. Um, so number one, what is the best advice you've ever been given?
1: Oh, good question. Um, I think about it's impossible until it's done. So I guess if something seems like this really difficult task until it's done, and then, you know, you can reflect back on things and see like, Oh God, that seemed really out of my reach or really difficult. Um, but actually if you just keep shipping away at something, it's possible. Hmm, absolutely. Um, and the second one, what is the most valuable
0: tool to have as a nutritionist or a dietitian?
1: Yeah that's a tough one and I guess if I think about my own experience and this might be a little bit of a cheat answer um, it would be like a phone or a laptop with internet access because you've so many tools within that that you would use so like you'd have your calculator you've access to studies and resources on the internet social media and it's really it's the main tool that I use in my day-to-day work. I mean that's a good one Uh, (laughs) and finally what's your favorite way to eat almonds? Recently, I've been really enjoying um, having mixed nuts, including almonds, um, with raisins and with pieces of chocolate all mixed together.
0: Oh, yum. yum. <laughs> Thank you, Maeve Hannon, for being my guest on this episode of Kernels of Nutrition. All other podcasts in the series can be found at almonds.co.uk and by searching Kernels of Nutrition on your chosen podcast app. This series is available across all podcast providers, including Spotify, Apple, Google, and Acast subscribe and follow to get a notification when the latest episode is out. You can also find a suite of helpful resources from the almond Academy, which includes AFN-endorsed CPD materials and a brand new social media guide for nutrition professionals.